When we first started preparing for this presentation, our first step was to define persecution, to make sure we understood what we were talking about. So I need to make sure that we're all on the same page. Persecution is the mistreatment of a, of a group of individuals or of individuals for some demographic identifier, for their race or for their nationality or for their religion. And it's not just persecute, I'm sorry, it's not just Christians who face persecution. But the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, which is a mouthful, this is a day that we pray for the Christian church that's persecuted through the world. And it's a day to spend some time thinking about it and letting it sink in. This is a reality today in the world. So the next step in our preparation was to look at the numbers, some of the statistics that they shared. And you know, I think we all were aware that there have been times in history, certain places in the world, where Christians were persecuted, where Christians were treated badly, were evicted from their houses or killed for their faith. But I think a lot of folks tend to believe that that mainly happened back closer to when Christ was on the earth. Because surely since then, as civilization has progressed and we've gotten so much more enlightened and sophisticated and we're so much more tolerant, surely it's diminished since then. And then we looked at the numbers. 43 million Christians, roughly, that's an estimation, have been killed for their faith in Christ since the time that Christ was on the earth. 43 million. Now that's a lot of years between that time and now. So I could kind of see that spread out among all those years. But how shocking to find out that roughly half of that number has happened within the last 100 years. It's staggering to realize that. Roughly 200 million Christians face some degree, some level of persecution every day out there in the world. Does that sound like a big number? That's two times the estimated number of homeless people there are in the world. Who knows what Facebook is? Is anybody on Facebook? Raise your hand if you have a Facebook account. Not nearly as many as I thought. Facebook's pretty popular. Facebook is this website that you can go to. and You get plugged in and you can see all of your friends, anybody you've ever known who's on Facebook, you can become friends with them and see what they're doing. They post pictures. You see everything that they're doing. And it's just hugely popular. It's almost double the number of people who use Facebook that are persecuted every day to some degree. It's a huge number. On average, roughly 300 people are put to death every day because they will not renounce their faith in Christ. 300 people. Like Kevin said, and what really hits home to me, is that means that on average, roughly 12 people will die every hour of the day. Of the day. We're here sitting in these pews for about an hour. So from the time that we hit our pew to the time we get in our car, somewhere in the world, about 12 people probably have been killed for their faith in Christ. It blows my mind. I mean, I've grown up in North Carolina. It's never been a bad thing to be a Christian. It's definitely never been a dangerous thing to be a Christian for me. I, found, I find this really surprising every time I see these numbers. I want to share a story with you really quickly. There's a place called Orissa. It's in India. For the last 11 months, 
Christians in India's Orissa state and elsewhere have been the objects of hateful persecution. A report by international human rights investigators lays out the mistreatment and abuse in unsettling detail. And I've censored this a little bit because I didn't want to be too graphic. In Arusa State, 65 identified people have been killed, and 85 are still unaccounted for. Among those killed were one man buried alive near the village of Rudangle. Several people were burned to death. Others were mutilated and dismembered. 117 churches of all Christian denominations have been destroyed. Approximately 5,000 homes destroyed. Christian people's homes. An unspecified number of Christian businesses have been destroyed, with the loss of livelihood, obviously, for their owners. 54,000 people have been displaced from their homes, forced to take shelter in state-sponsored relief camps. It's estimated that about 20,000 people are still living in the jungle or have fled to big cities to get out of this persecution. This report, I printed this off November 14th. Today is the 16th. That was Friday. And this stuff is happening today to people right now as we speak. Yet it really should not surprise us. If we read our Bibles thoroughly, this news should not surprise us. You don't have to flip here, but there's two scriptures I want to mention. 1 John 3.13. John is writing to a church and he says, Do not be surprised when the world hates you. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul is writing to someone at a church and he says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. Now those are two very matter-of-fact, very straightforward statements. Absolute statements. Christians will be hated. Christians will be persecuted. But there's a thing called context. When you're trying to interpret the Bible, you have to see what's the context of these verses. Both of these verses are found in a letter that someone wrote to a church. So maybe this was just meant for the recipients of this letter, the direct recipients of the letter. Maybe John just meant this for the people at the church he was writing to. All of you guys at this church, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Maybe Paul meant it just for Timothy and his church when he said, everyone at your church who desires to live godly will face persecution. Flip with me, if you will, to the book of John. We have your Bibles. If you don't, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. This is the best part of the service when we get to get into God's Word. Flip to the book of John. It's in the New Testament. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, starting at verse 18. And we're going to get to the bottom of this. Who were these warnings meant for? Were they just meant for those churches? Or were they meant for me? Were they meant for my family, my wife? Were they meant for you and your family? John chapter 15, starting at verse 18. Follow along with me, if you will. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is Christ's talk. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. 
But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus is laying out here this fundamental battle, this fundamental conflict that we all know to be true on some level. It's basically the battle between good and evil. I mean, look at the movies we watch and the books we read. It's always the, the same story. There's always a force of good versus a force of evil. Superman always has his Lex Luthor. There's always the good guy and the bad guy. He's laying out that sort of conflict for his disciples. And he's explaining that there's the world and there's Christ. And the two are at odds. So what does he mean by the world? There's three ways that the world is used in the Bible. First, it just means like the planet, this rock and water that we're all riding through outer space right now. It also means the people who inhabit the earth. It also means the practices or the actions of those people. So like when you hear the term worldly people, it means the principles of people who live on the earth. And you know what people are like. The Bible says people are naturally sinners. When he says the world, he's talking about the world in the same sense of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that none would perish but all would have eternal life. The world is the people of the world and their lifestyle, basically. So he says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. See, Christ is the antithesis of everything the world stands for. If you think of the world and everything it preaches, Christ is the opposite of it. Christ came to counter everything that the world has to offer. And they are eternally at odds. The world says, strengthen yourself. Christ says, die to self. The world says, take security in your bank account. Build your kingdom. Christ says, forget about the bank account. Build God's kingdom. Focus on God's kingdom and the rest will be added to you. The world says self-reliance. Christ says rely on God. The world says self-esteem. Christ says esteem God. The world says self-confidence. Christ says have confidence in God, not yourself. The world says the first shall come first. Christ says the last shall come first. Christ, um, the world says get more. Christ says give more. The world says you should be served. The world fills us with expectation to be served in this life. Christ says the lifestyle you need is to serve others. The world says cling to what you have. Christ says let it go. The world says beauty is on the outside. Christ says beauty is on the inside. The world teaches us to fight back when we're wrong. Christ teaches us to turn the other cheek. The world says, be proud, be strong. These are virtues that we need. Pride. Christ says, be humble, be meek. The world says, love is about what you can get from someone. Christ says, love is about what you can give. The world says, there are many ways to fulfill yourself. And there are many ways to salvation. Christ says, there is but one. And it is He. And it's this message... They got nearly every one of his disciples killed. We think that being close to Christ and being Christians is a ticket to an easy life. Look at those closest to him, his disciples. All of them were martyred. Martyrs means martyred. To be martyred means to be put to death for your faith or something you believe in. 
And the only one that wasn't martyred was exiled to some island, but the rest were crucified like Christ or, or stoned. So why would anybody hate Christians? Is it because we're just these mean, hard to get along with people? Is that why the world hates Christians? Is that why people in Orissa are having so much trouble where they're just that, that nasty people that you just couldn't get along with them? So we've got to get them out of here, get them out of their house, drag them out to the street, burn them alive? No. Christians are nice. Christians, if they're following Christ, are not the nicest people you meet. We even love our enemies. So why would the world hate us so much? The scripture makes it clear that it's because of Christ. The world has always hated Christ. And here we are saying, I'm a Christian. I'm a little Christ. I'm devoting my whole life to worship and to try to be more like Christ. Of course the world's going to hate us. Because we are trying to emulate the very lifestyle and worship the very man who runs counter to everything the world stands for. Remember what Jesus said. I'll read it here. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. When the church looks like the world, there's no need to fear persecution. When the church is filled with worldly people, there's no need to fear anything bad happening to Christians. Because the world loves its own. It's when the church starts to look like Christ that we have to start to worry. When it starts to look like all those things I just mentioned to run counter to the world's philosophy, that's when we need to start worrying. So what does this mean for us today? I think it means two things. First, we really need to examine our lives. Most of us are here because we are Christians and we claim to be followers of Christ. Now I want to ask you today, if a stranger observed your life for one week, if somehow a stranger was able to observe everything you did during this week and the things you said and the, the things you put your money toward and your energies, what would he assume? Would he assume your own crisis? Side, or would he assume your own world's side? Let me put it a different way. Think about all the things you've done this week. The things that you've done. Have those things identified you more closely with Christ or with the world? What about the things you've said? Have the things you said in this last week identified you more with Christ or with the world? What about the things you've worried about this week? The things you've worried about that have been on your mind all week. Does using your mind for that, what you've been thinking about, does that identify you more with Christ or with the world and its values? We have to examine ourselves and think through this. It's easy to be the nice guy at work or at school and the nice one. It's really easy to be that guy. Christians are nice, so that seems to fit. People like nice people. It's easy to be the nice guy. It's hard to be the guy who's always talking about Jesus. It's really hard to be the guy who wears his faith in Christ on his sleeve and identifies openly and genuinely with Christ. You see, it's not just about listening to 91.9, contemporary Christian music. It's not just about putting a Jesus on the back of your car. 
It's not about wearing a cross necklace, although I don't know if people still do that or not. <clears throat> and it's not about being nice. It's about identifying with Jesus Christ. And sometimes, I, I've said this before, but out in the world it's hard to even utter his name. Jesus. Think about your conversations. Do you converse differently with certain friends and certain people than you do with your Christian friends and Christian people? This is something huge for me that I can see a real tell in my life. When I talk with members of my family who are Christians about what's going on, you know, they make it very evident that, you know, this is going on and I've been praying about this and God has answered these prayers. And I talk about prayer and talk about God. But when I talk to my non-Christian family, I tend to be a lot more vague about things. I'm like, well, yeah, we've been wrestling with this decision. Whereas I would have said, we've been really praying about this decision. And I get all vague, so I don't have to bring the words God or Jesus or prayer or Bible or Scripture or all this weird, freaky religious stuff. I just leave that out. I don't want the awkwardness. Is that the case for any of you? Why is that? Why would we be hesitant to mention the name Jesus? When we claim to be Christians, how long would it take someone who just met you, someone met you today, how long would it take them to realize that you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation? Would it be within the first hour of conversation? Would it be a couple of weeks after they realize that he goes to church? Would it be years? How long would it take someone who met you today? How long would it take for them to get to know you well enough to realize that you believe Jesus Christ is the only way to peace, the only way to love, the only way to joy? It's hard to be that guy in this world because we don't realize it until we start trying to identify with Christ openly that the world is constantly oppressive of that. The world hates Christ. That's why it's hard for me to talk about Jesus with my unbelieving family. There's an oppression in it because the world hates it. So that's the first thing we need to do. We have to examine ourselves. Are we identifying ourselves with Christ? Because we are Christians, and that's our lifestyle. The second thing we need to do, and my wife makes fun of me for this, and she'll probably be upset that I'm even using her as an example because I always tend to find a way to use her as an example. Because in every application of every sermon I've ever preached or any lesson I've ever taught, this has found its way in there. But the second thing we need to do is pray. This is the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. We need to pray because there's a battle going on. There's a battle raging for our lives. We need to pray for those Christians whose identity with Christ has been so clear that it's brought on persecution. We need to pray for these Christians because they are in trouble. We need to pray that they'll be strong, that they'll keep it up. Pray that they'll have hope in God. And we need to pray for ourselves that we can be as bold and genuine as they are in our faith. We need to pray that God will fill us with His Spirit so that we too could just be these natural, genuine Christians out there in the world. And we don't really have to think, should I mention Jesus now? Or should I not? Is it going to be weird? Or should I do it because Matt preached a sermon and it seems like I'm supposed to mention Jesus? We can be these genuine, natural Christians that are just... It'll, it'll come up because that's what we're devoted to. We don't have to make it this mission statement. I'm going to mention Jesus eight times a day. 
But we'll be free from any fear of the world to be Christians. And we need to pray for the strength to face persecution and hardship when it comes. Because the more we identify ourselves with Christ, the more clearly we look like Christ, the more likely it is that we'll face some kind of persecution. So right now I want to pray for us. And then we're going to sing a song and I'll turn the, the service over because we have an announcement to make after that. But if you'll bow with me, let's pray. Lord, here we are in this Christian church and we cry out to you for you to help us. Help us to live this Christian life. This life of joy and peace no matter what is going on in the world. No matter what persecution we may face. Help us to focus more and more of our attention and our energy toward following you and being obedient to you and worshiping you. Lord, I pray for these Christians around the world. I pray for those who have to decide if they're going to identify with Christ and face persecution and possibly death or if they're going to give Christ up so that they can be peaceful and not have danger. Lord, strengthen them. Help them to stay the course. I cannot even imagine how difficult and terrifying it is to face violent persecution. Lord, I pray for those men and women and children that you would just strengthen them and give them peace that defies all understanding, that transcends any danger physically that they're facing. Lord, be with them. And I do pray for us. Help us to grow to be more like Jesus. Help us even starting from this very moment to grow to look more like Jesus. And give us the strength to face the hardships that will come the closer we get to looking like Him. Lord, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your love and Your protection. Thank You for Your patience with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.